This, uh, this sermon topic is going to be on Revelation 2 and 3. For those of you who know that section of Scripture, it's all about Jesus' message to the seven churches of Asia. So before I, before I jump in on that, though, um, 18 years ago today, something special happened. Uh, Katie and I got married. So this is... This is our 18th anniversary today. Your marriage is an adult? Y- y- huh? Your marriage is an official adult now. Yes, that's true. It can vote. <laughs> My marriage can vote. Um, this was the moment when we entered into uh, not just a commitment, but a covenant, right? Uh, with one another. Uh, and as you know in Scripture, God uses imagery, marriage imagery, to show us what our relationship with God is like. So... Uh, the church, of course, is, is the bride of Christ. So it seemed appropriate that given it's my anniversary, given uh, it's the anniversary of a marriage, uh, that I go ahead and preach today on matters of the church, the bride of Christ. So thus, here I am in Revelation uh, 2, 2 and 3. So I'll get started with a word of prayer and then we'll start. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to speak this morning. Um, Lord, give me the words to speak. Give me um, the right heart in speaking. Um, I pray that my words have, have power <laughs> to those listening through your spirit uh, because, you know, I, I can't do this on my own, on my own strength, Lord. So I, I pray for your, uh, your strength, your, your words to come through me. And we do thank you that you see us as as a bride, um, looking lovingly at us in white, clean, as snow, clean and white as snow, Lord. So we want to keep that in mind as we, as we go through these scriptures. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So after deciding to preach on Revelation 2 and 3, uh, I was informed by my daughter, Audrey, that she actually wrote a paper on Revelation 2 and 3 for school, and her teacher was none other than Mike Monjay. So, um, I went ahead and grabbed her paper and used it as a source for my, for my um, sermon this morning. So, thank you, Audrey. Hopefully, I hold, hold the line here on, on all your wisdom that, you, 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 that came out of your paper. Uh, so, Revelation was written by John after receiving a revelation from Jesus about things to come. Right? John was exiled on Patmos, the island, and he, he had this, this vision, and he wrote it down, and, and which became Revelation. There's a lot to Revelation, as you know. There's a lot, sort of, it's, it's packed with a lot of imagery, um, and this really is the first uh, section of that. Um, we're really just going to kind of do an overview here of Revelation 2 and 3. I'm not going to get into hardcore theology necessarily, um, but really just kind of talk about it in relation to, um, to the church and what we're, what we're supposed to be, okay? So John here is, after receiving the revelation, he writes it down and he writes to the seven churches of Asia. He's, he calls it Asia. Um, now we're not talking about modern day Asia or all of modern day Asia here, right? Which encompasses a very large landmass here. What we're really talking to here is essentially uh, Western Turkey, what, what's now modern-day Western Turkey, okay, kind of where one of the churches is Ephesus, right? So we know where Ephesus is, Western, sort of Western Turkey, um, east of what's now Istanbul. Um, that's, that's generally the area we're talking about. So, but he, he writes to seven churches, which is interesting. There's actually more, there were more than seven churches in this area in uh, John's time. So what's really going on here? <clears throat> well, the number seven in the Bible, as you may know, represents completeness, Right? And so when he's talking to the seven churches of Asia, what he's really talking to is the church as a whole, right? All of the churches, okay? So while he specifically addresses seven churches, um, he's really intending to address the capital C church as a whole, both at this time and I believe uh, into the future as well. So we can certainly take this and read it and apply it to our own church and, and other churches that we that we're uh, connected to or, or, or know about. 
So in John's vision, he sees Jesus first here in, in chapter one. He, he, he sees Jesus among seven lampstands, and it says he was clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Can you imagine this? And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And then we read that John fell as if dead at the sight of Jesus, which we probably all would do the same thing, right? You see that kind of an image? You're probably going to want to listen to what Jesus is saying, seeing him like this. But Jesus tells him not to fear, and that the stars in his hand are the angels of the seven churches, and the lampstands are the seven churches. So we don't know for sure what he means here by the angels of the churches, but the word here uh, could mean messengers and possibly even refer to the human leaders within the churches. So it's possible it's even maybe the senior pastors of these particular churches. So Jesus tells John to give these messages to the seven churches. So we're going to walk through each of these seven churches, the letters to the seven churches, or messages to each of the seven churches. And each letter has the following uh, characteristics. One, they give a definition or description of Jesus. They give a a commendation, something they've done right or done well, uh, except for two churches. Don't get any commendation, okay? We're going to see a rebuke for all of them except two churches, two different churches. We're going to see a solution or an action, so a calling of Jesus saying, do this, We're going to see a consequence for continued disobedience. And then we're going to see a promise for overcomers. So the word overcomers, who are they? What does that mean? What does overcomers mean? Uh, There is potentially some disagreement here among among, uh, Christians. Um, But based on my reading, my research, um, I believe that all overcomers are, are believers. Okay, so when he's referring to overcomers, I, I believe here he's, he's referring to believers. Um, one of the maybe proof texts there is uh, while overcomers, the word overcomers is not defined in Revelation, uh, it is mentioned in 1 John 5, 4 through 5, which says that all who believe in him become overcomers by grace. So the promise here to overcomers are encouragements to us to, as believers, to persevere. So as we go through these, I want us to think about our church primarily, uh, but also churches you have been a part of or churches that you're familiar with and think about um, how we're doing, how we're doing as a church, okay? So the first one, message, the message to Ephesus. I'm going to hear in chapter two now, verse one. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand The one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds and your labor and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil people and you have put those who call themselves apostles to the test and they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured on account of my name and have not become weary but I have this against you that you have left your first love. Therefore, Remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at, the, at first or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But you have this, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who overcomes, I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Okay, what is our description of Jesus here? One who holds seven stars in his right hand and walking among the lampstands. That was actually the picture that John saw of Jesus. The commendation, 
Their labor and their perseverance. They, they don't tolerate evil people and they test for heresy, right? We read about these Nicolaitans, right? We don't really know exactly who they are from scripture, but uh, clearly it is to be seen as some sort of heretical group within the church. Um, so what we see here, the combination ultimately is that they're really good on doctrine, right? Good, good doctrine. Good in theology and good in, good in their doctrine. But what is the rebuke? Jesus says they've lost their first love. That probably here means that they've lost their love for each other. It's kind of a dead church, right? They know, they know, they know doctrine really well, but they have no love for each other or for others, okay? So what is the consequence for disobedience? Jesus says he'll remove their lampstand or, or lo- essentially lose their status as a, as a church, which is, is pretty harsh. Um, but there's the promise for overcomers. If you obey, um, then you'll be able to eat from the tree of life in paradise, which is essentially eternal life. Again, this church cared a lot for doctrine and theology, but had no love, no love for each other. Second church, message to Smyrna, verse eight. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Ouch. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Okay, what is our description of Jesus with this one? The first and the last. The Alpha and the Omega, essentially, right? He was dead but came to life. We know that. He was dead on the cross but came resurrected to life. A commendation. Though the church at Smyrna was poor and suffering, they are continuing to persevere. Though they're poor, they're rich. If you guys remember, the first time I ever spoke in front of this group was a sermon on paradox. You guys remember the Bible is chock full of paradox. The poor are rich, the rich are poor, the blind shall see, all this sort of things you wouldn't expect, right? The paradox, the unexpected. Here is another example of this. We have this church, Smyrna, who Jesus says is poor and suffering and they're, they're, they don't have resources. Um, yet, what does Jesus call, Jesus call them? He calls them rich. What is their rebuke? They actually have none. This church actually doesn't get rebuked. So the solution or the action, continue to be faithful through the suffering even to death. Mentions prison here too, prison even unto death. There's no consequence listed here for disobedience. Since there was no disobedience that is written here, there's no consequence. And then the promise for overcomers, the crown of life. No second death. Second death where unbelievers will rise to go to hell. They will not have to deal with that. And then the church is suffering. In this case, this church is suffering with persecution for the sake of the gospel by certain Jews that Jesus calls the synagogue of Satan. These particular Jews have rejected Jesus as Messiah. All right, third church, message to Pergamum. Verse 12 now. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says, says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold firmly to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. So you too have some 
who in the same way hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Here we are again with our heretical group. Therefore, repent, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will wage war against them, the heretics, with the sword of my mouth. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows except the one who receives it. All right. What is our description of Jesus here? One who has the sharp two-edged sword, right? This is the sword coming out of his mouth, right? Again, you get this picture of this (laughs) flaming-faced, sword-bearing, out of his mouth Jesus, bronze bronze, uh, shoes. Here he mentions the sharp two-edged sword. Commendation. Pergamum did not deny Jesus in the face of persecution. So we see see that this church is also being persecuted. They're not alone, just like Smyrna being persecuted. Pergamum also facing persecution. Um, In fact, one of their own, Antipas, was martyred, as we read here. It mentions Satan's dwelling. Pergamum was actually a center for, was known in this, in this part of, the, of, of Asia as a center for, for the worship of gods, other gods, false gods, <clears throat> and the worship of, of the Roman emperor was also emphasized here. So there's probably here a reference to this essentially satanic worship. So we have a rebuke. <clears throat> Some are holding to the false teaching of Balaam, right? So who is Balaam? You guys remember that name? Actually, should ring a bell for you, not just in Revelation here, but that's actually a name from the Old Testament. He was a false prophet um, that seduced the Israelites into sexual immorality and uh, pagan worship, okay? We also have the Nicolaitans again, again, probably of this heretical group, probably heretical in the area of, again, sexual immorality. So what is the solution or the action here? Repent. It's pretty simple. It just says repent, right? The consequence of disobedience will be war against the heretics in the church with the sword. Does that mean literally through the sword? We don't know, but probably, probably through some providential intervention. Uh, the promise for the overcomers. We read that there's some hidden manna. We don't know exactly what that means, but we know in the Old Testament the manna referred to sustenance, right? Sustenance in the face of the, the desert that they were in. <clears throat> we have a white stone. What's a white stone? What does that mean? Um, could, be, could be a couple things. Um, in this time, the, the first century AD here, it was given to victors at a game uh, victors at games for entrance into banquets. So it was given to, to, to victors in, in, these, in these games that were held, Roman games. Uh, but it was also used by, by jurors at trials to vote for acquittal. So if you were deemed to be not guilty by the jurors, they would give you a, a white stone, okay? And a new name on the stone. So these must be some kind of eternal, eternal blessings. We're not sure exactly. Um, I think the scripture is pretty, pretty clear that there are blessings in heaven that we can store up, treasures in heaven, right? And these might be um, examples, examples of that. But clearly, we're talking about victory with the stone or, and or um, mercy, acquittal, the acquittal of a crime, mercy. So this church, what's, what's the, the main, main component here of this church? This church was suffering through persecution in a town that had given itself over to the worship of other gods and, and sexual immorality. It seemed that uh, potentially here, in this case, this, that sexual perversions were being pushed within the church by false teachers and some in the church were being led astray. Do you see that today? We see a lot of churches out there, I think, Christian churches who give, who give in and accept the world's views on particularly sexuality. And some may say, well, it's not a big deal. 
but it is a rejection of God's created order, going back to Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2, it's, a, it's one man, one woman in a marriage. That's it. That's what we have. That's our picture of godly sexuality. Anything else? Not right. Okay? We don't know exactly what the sexual immorality was here, but, but clearly there was something going on. Okay? Um, and it was, oh, well, it was often intertwined with pagan worship as well in the Roman, in the Roman culture, right? So it was, it was a worship and a, and a sexual immorality combination. Okay, message to Thyatira. Thya, Thyatira. I always used to think it was Thyatira. And then you read it, it's Thyatira. Anyway, okay, message to Thyatira. Verse uh, 18 now of chapter 2. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, right? The son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze says this. I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit sexual immorality, and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with a plague, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds." But I say to you, the rest who are at Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold firmly until I come. The one who overcomes and the one who keeps my deeds until the end, I will give him authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are shattered as I also have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star, the one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, what is our description of Jesus here? It goes back to the picture that John's seen, eyes of a flame, eyes of like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze. What's the commendation? Well, here we kind of have what's essentially the opposite of Ephesus, okay? They seem to have a lot of love for each other, and a strong faith, and a servant, and service, and perseverance. They've done some recent good deeds. But we also have a rebuke. The rebuke is the opposite of Ephesus. Ephesus being the first one we looked at, that was strong on doctrine, light on love. We have the opposite here. Opposite of Ephesus, but the rebuke is similar to Pergamum, the one we just read. They tolerate Jezebel, okay? who leads people astray in a sexual immorality and idol worship. So Jezebel, again, that name should ring a bell. There's an Old Testament prophetess, Jezebel. It's possible that the real name of this woman here is not actually Jezebel, but perhaps a reference. It, she, he's calling her Jezebel in this case because that's essentially who she's, who she's acting like, <laughs> like the Jezebel of the Old Testament. Um, if you remember the story of Jezebel, um, we have Jezebel who married Israel's King Ahab and led him astray. She imposed Baal worship on, on Israel at the time. Well, he, he did um, through her influence. And uh, she also symbolizes now the prostitute Babylon, which we will read about. Well, we won't read about it, but if you read further on in Revelation, you get to Revelation 17, you'll read about the prostitute uh, Babylon. And this is hearkening to that, to that prostitute. So we have some sort of pagan pagan prostitution worship going on here that is infiltrating the church, okay? So what's the solution or action? For those who have not gotten into this, this immorality, the solution is hold firmly to what you have. Hold firmly to Christ, okay? What's the consequence of disobedience? For those who are following Jezebel, for the adulterers have given in, There'll be tribulation, there'll be sickness for Jezebel, death to her children, 
and for others, each is given as their deeds deserve. Okay? And for the overcomers, what is it? The authority over the nations, possession of the morning star. What does that mean? It means ruling with Jesus himself. We get to heaven, we're going to be ruling with Jesus himself. This church showed love for each other and had some good deeds, but they were tolerating these heretics in their midst. So love without proper doctrine can lead the church astray. Got to have both. Okay. Sardis, we're in chapter three. Sardis. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars say this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, yet you are dead. Be constantly alert and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Then if you are not alert, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. The one who overcomes will be clothed the same way in white garments and I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, what is our description here of Jesus? He has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, holding the churches in his, in his hand. A commendation. They don't get a commendation. Not good. A rebuke. They have the reputation for being alive but are spiritually dead. What we have here is dead works. What's the solution or action? Repent. Be constantly alert and strengthen what little faith they do have. This is just a church that's just dead. There are a few alert and unstained disciples that remain, but that's it. <clears throat> the consequence of disobedience, Jesus will come like a thief. It's interesting, Sardis here um, was actually attacked twice in his history, if you read the history books. Greek history, <clears throat> you'll read that Sardis itself was actually attacked twice in its, in its history because of the fact that the watchmen who were looking out um, did not see that the armies, the enemy armies were about to attack them. So <laughs> they were not watchful. And Jesus essentially uses that in his message to say, if you don't watch, I'm gonna come like a thief. And they, they know what that means, right? Because they have that in their history. A promise for overcomers. Clothed in white while walking with Jesus. The names, your name's not erased from the book of life. Confession of their names before God and angels. So this church was just going through the motions. They're checking a box. Too many churches do not emphasize the importance of a personal relationship with God. And doing works is a way of saving themselves. Works are the result of, of a relationship and not the other way around. Our works come from our, our faith from our relationship. Message to Philadelphia, church number six, I think we're on. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. Because you have a little power, and have followed my word, and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, here we are again, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word of perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of the testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world, to test those who live on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold firmly to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he will not go out from it anymore and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, description of Jesus, what do we have? He's holy. He's true. He has the key of David. What does that mean? 
says, who opens and no one will shut. Basically, key of David, the authority to, to admit or not admit those, to the king, those uh, people into the kingdom of God. We have a commendation. They have little power, much like Smyrna. They have little power, but have followed the word, not denied Jesus, persevered through the persecution by the, by the Jews. A rebuke? They don't, they don't get a rebuke. Have you noticed that the two churches that don't get rebuked are the ones with the, little, the least power? Jesus loves to uphold the powerless, the poor and the powerless. A solution or action, hold firmly to what they have. A consequence of disobedience, there's nothing there, there was no disobedience. A promise for overcomers, made a, made a pillar in the temple of God, they'll be written on them the name of God, also the name of the city of God, the new Jerusalem, and the name of Jesus, and never excluded from God's presence. This church was similar to Smyrna, as I mentioned. Smyrna was earthly poor but spiritually rich. In the same way, Philadelphia was earthly powerless but had spiritual strength to hold fast to Jesus' words. All right. Last church, church number seven, Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? The, the amen, the faithful and true witness the origin of the creation of God says this. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold nor hot. Or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have no need of anything. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and the eye salve to which or to apply to your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. The one who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne, and I also overcame and sat with my, as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, what is our description of Jesus here? The amen, the let it be so, the faithful and true witness, origin of the creation of God, so one who began with God's creation. The commendation, None. It's always problematic when there's no commendation. What's the rebuke? They're lukewarm. They're neither hot nor cold, right? They're wealthy but wretched. Here's our paradox again. Unlike Philadelphia and Smyrna, this church, this church apparently was wealthy. They say they're wealthy. Yet, Jesus calls them wretched. They're too comfortable. He calls them wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. What's the solution? He says to buy gold from God refined by fire so that they can become really rich to know what real wealth is and white garments to clothe themselves, eye salve so that they can see and be zealous and repent. So can you buy, can you actually buy gold that God has refined by fire? Not in an earthly way. <laughs> these, are un, these are all unbiable things, okay? So what do we need? We need this church needs, needs Jesus' grace. A consequence for disobedience, Jesus will vomit them out of his mouth. That's a pretty gross picture of disobedience, but gives you a sense of God's heart here for sin, against sin. A promise for overcomers. Sit with Jesus on his throne. Dine with Jesus. So this church saw themselves as self-sufficient. They're comfortable where they are, not hot or cold, 
feeling like they don't need Jesus. I think this is probably the biggest problem in America. I think there's, I think, well, we're a wealthy country. We're a wealthy city. Even if you personally don't think yourself as wealthy, I think in the main, we, we are wealthy. And I think thinking about the comforts that we have, indoor plumbing, electricity, a roof over our heads generally, most of us, really comfortable mattresses, enough food to eat and more than we need, plentiful jobs at the moment, all these things, right? We're wealthy, we're wealthy, right? Churches, churches in America are, are wealthy. And I think it's easy to fall into the trap of being self-sufficient. And I'm speaking from the heart, too, from, for me personally. I think it's easy for me to fall into the trap of being self-sufficient and not needing Jesus daily. So when I think about, when I think about myself, I think about Laodicea. Um, but I'm sure you could think of, with all these seven churches, you can think of churches you've been a part of or, or even times within church you've been a part of that, uh, that, some, that, that all of these things are, you, you've seen all of these things at one point or another. So but what are the big takeaways? The big takeaways for me here with these messages to the churches, um, one of them I've already made. First one is that noticing that the two churches who have nothing earthly are the most commended by Jesus and the only two that aren't rebuked. Why is that? Because when we have nothing, what do we do? We have to rely on Jesus. These churches had to rely on Jesus. They had nothing else to give they didn't have the power of the world. They didn't have the money. They had to daily rely and trust, on, trust in Jesus. Second thing, churches aren't necessarily static. We've read about some churches that used to do good deeds and maybe still do them a little bit. We'd read about churches that maybe loved each other at one point but eventually stopped and just all about doctrine and theology. So churches aren't necessarily static and go, can go through peaks and valleys in their vibrance for the Lord. Another takeaway I took from this is that both love and doctrine are upheld. We've got to have both. Jesus finds doctrine very important, right? He's calling out heretics all throughout. He's, he's calling out heretics, he's calling out, calling out false prophets, false apostles, bad doctrine. He wants, us to, he wants us to know the truth. He wants us to know what's good and what's right and what's true. And we can get that from Scripture. Jesus holds Scripture in high regard. But you've got to have love too, Right? This isn't just an academic exercise to know, to know the scripture and to know doctrine, right? How does it apply? How does, it, how, does it, how does the scripture affect us? Knowing what's right doesn't necessarily always translate into doing what's right. It also doesn't necessarily translate to loving each other, right? So a church must, in order to flourish, must have, must have both. We're actually going to be going through a sermon series. Mike's going to start here um, this, this fall, a sermon series on flourishing as a church. What does that look like, right? So we're going to, we're going to go through, we're going to look at what does is, what is flourishing as a church, flourishing as individuals within the church, what does that look like? And we'll, we'll certainly go through um, kind of church organization, but it'll also, also involve, you know, what do, what does... What does being a disciple or a disciple and follower of the Lord mean individually as well? So, um, and how can we come alongside each other as a church to help each other in our walk with the Lord 
so that we can all flourish together, okay? So really looking forward to that. Maybe this is a little bit, this sermon today was a little bit of a, a precursor to that or maybe to whet your appetite a little bit for that, that series coming up. Uh, and finally, I wanna just take a, take a look at the list of the encouragement for the overcomers, right? The overcomers, the believers in the church. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna walk down the list again and just kind of summarize what were those, those promises we have uh, for those uh, believers and, and what our future in heaven looks like, okay? So, eating from the tree of life in paradise, eternal life, the crown of life, no second death, sustenance, everything we need, a victory stone with our name, our new name written on that stone, authority over the nations, in possession of the morning star, ruling with Jesus himself, clothed in white, walking with Jesus, our names not erased from the book of life, and confession of our names before God and angels. Made a pillar in the temple of God and written on us the name of God, the name of the city of God, and the name of Jesus, and never excluded from God's presence. And then finally, sitting with Jesus on his throne, dining with Jesus in what we can then read later in Revelation is um, the, ultimate, the ultimate dining experience of, of the wedding feast and the wedding banquet, which we can look forward to. Katie and I, like I said, is our anniversary today, 18 years. We are, we are celebrating this evening. Uh, we are going out, we're gonna have a nice dinner, dinner out um, tonight as we celebrate. Um, and it'll be great, we'll have We'll have some great meats, I'm sure, and well-cooked vegetables, and maybe some wine, I don't know. And it'll be great. It'll be delicious. But it's a dim hint of that marriage banquet to come that we'll have with Jesus in heaven. And I gotta pay the bill. <laughs> Following on the analogy, I gotta pay the bill. but. I didn't have to pay the bill for the wedding feast with, our, with Jesus. He paid it for us. You guys have any thoughts on any of those aspects of the church? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The white stone with your name on it. It's a cool image, isn't it, Jameson? Kind of a chronology question. Uh, so this is John. He's a prisoner on an island in Greece, which is out in the middle of the Trump of the Dead. And John being exiled in prison, but the church had pushed all the way up out of Israel into Turkey that far. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, even by this time, the church had spread all the way, I mean, really throughout the Roman world. I mean, to Rome, certainly, which is even further west of what we're talking about here, right? I think John wrote this in somewhere in the 90-something-ish AD, is, is what we're talking about. Uh, it's probably more than that, even. 50 years? be 50 years. 50 years after Christ. Or more even, 50-ish, Yeah. Yeah, so you have the, you have the opportunity to, for the church to spread. Yeah, I, you know, in God's providence, Jesus came during the Roman rule, Roman Empire, which as much as Rome persecuted Christians in the early uh, days, it ultimately was to the benefit of the church because the Romans built a fantastic network of roads 
um, all throughout the empire. And I mean, if you go there, even today, you can see, still see some of the roads that are intact today, right? These are actually paved roads in a lot of cases <clears throat> that led <clears throat> out of Rome and went all over the place, right? And so because of that, and they had, sh- of course, ships, boats, um, boating activity, um, and it was a time of relative peace as well, right? So you had the opportunity, all the right characteristics for a message that started in Israel to then spread throughout the empire, across the sea into North Africa, um, certainly into the rest of uh, you know, Western, Western Europe, um, what's now Italy, of course, and, and, um, and then ultimately even, to, even all the way to Spain, right? Along the northern shores of the Mediterranean. So you had the spread, and, and obviously Western Turkey is right there, um, and is even, a, I would say, a, a closer spot than a lot of the places that the gospel had actually spread to by this point. Certainly Paul, in his missionary travels, and others um, were, were, a, were helpful in that. Obviously, Paul went to Ephesus in the churches in that area, right? It's part of his ministry. This would have been, uh, you know, after that time. So at this point, yes, there, is, there are churches being started and are ongoing at this point throughout the Roman Empire. And you can see they're still sort of working through what does it mean to be a Christian church, right? And you, and you read Paul's letters, you read John here, and you, you read, this is, this is what it looks like to be part of the way, the new, the, the, the culmination of, of your Jewish faith is, is, uh, is Jesus as the Messiah. And then, of course, the message went to the Jews, so first to the synagogues in the area, those areas, those towns, but then ultimately to the Gentiles as, as, as well, right? But you still see here in John that there's Jewish persecution for those who are not, not believing in Jesus and are persecuting the Jews who are. And then, of course, you'll have ultimately Rome, Roman persecution as well. Yeah, Richard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's right. Yeah. If I didn't say it quite like that, I mean, I think that's what it is. I mean, how it played itself out practically is not loving each other, but that stems from a lack of, lack of understanding God's love. I'll add that to my fifth takeaway, big takeaway. Listen to the Holy Spirit. I like it. Keep your, keep your ears in tune to the Holy Spirit. All right, everybody. Yeah. Um, and true witness, the origin of the creation of, this is the NASB I was reading out of. Um, I think it was the NASB. Uh, the origin of the creation of God. Yes. I take that as he's, he's yeah, I agree. What does yours say? Yeah. I see that version. It also said. I'm not going to try to interpret or give you like the yeah. hardcore theology view on that, but I, my, my understanding is it would be, he, he was there at the origin of creation, not created by God per se.
Yeah. Interesting. I don't, I don't know. I don't know anything about that, honestly, but. Huh. Yeah, interesting take. No, I, you know, obviously, um, there's a lot in Revelation that you could, <laughs> you could actually go into more detail than I did here on these two chapters, and certainly the rest of Revelation is a whole um, thing in and of itself, and, you know, su- subject to a lot of interpretation, certainly. Um, but that's for somebody maybe a little bit more well-studied than me. So I'm taking, I'm taking from two to three, chapter two and three here, what I think we can and what we can apply as a church and think about as, individ- as Christians and believers, but <clears throat> there's a lot more there to unpack, certainly later on in Revelation. All right, I'm gonna pray for us and we'll, we will um, sing some more songs and take the opportunity during our worship time to take communion as well, a representation of Jesus' body and blood sacrificed for our sins so that we can have all of these eternal blessings that have been promised to us. So I'll pray. Lord, thank you for, again, this, our church. Thank you for our pastor, Mike, and his safety, his family. I thank you for his teaching us and leading, leading this church. And I thank you for the, the, the knowledge that you've given him that he can imbue on us and that we do take doctrine seriously here at our church, that it is important. But I do also thank you that our church does show love for each other and that we do care for each other. So I pray that your spirit would guide and direct us, that you would show us as a church body where, where we have areas for rebuke, Lord commendation and rebuke. We want to be good stewards of what you've given us here at this church. So show us, Lord, what your will is. Show us where we can strengthen the church. And Lord, I do pray for in the midst of living in such a difficult city to be a Christian sometimes, I pray that we can be good witnesses for you. So bless the rest of our time together and bless our weeks coming up. In Jesus' name, amen.